Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. back another episode of sports date as the nfl season has kicked off we're a few weeks in it's that beautiful time of year where everything's kind of coming to fruition much different than when we started this podcast not that long ago and it felt like there was no hope for anything to come about the only thing that was happening was baseball season so here we are two full weeks into the nfl season uh, nba training camp and preseason about to kick in nhl preseason just kicked in as well as baseball winding down their season. So this is kind of the mecca for sports right now with everything happening at once. So there's a couple topics I wanted to get to today. Coming up later on, I'm going to get to a few NFL thoughts that I've had two weeks into the season. One-eighth of the way home in terms of uh, regular season games for everybody, so I have some thoughts. We'll get to that later on, as well as what I'm obsessing over. And if we have some time, we'll get to rate my take. But I did want to lead off with a story that it's a little bit dated at this point, but I feel like it was really brushed under the rug and not given as much attention as it should have, especially considering the pedigree of the sport I'm talking about and what happened following this incident. And I'm talking about the case of the horse Justify in 2018 failing a drug test before even running the Kentucky Derby, the first leg of the Triple Crown. Now, I've talked about it before, and I am a horse racing fan uh, for the Triple Crown, and I love following it. It's exciting. I know it doesn't make sense. As much as I hate horses, I love horse racing. So to, to see this article this past week and to kind of see the way it was handled and treated, it makes you kind of remember where horse racing came from. Now, horse racing isn't exactly known for being the cleanest sport. I mean, it has uh, organized crime ties. It's it's not exactly a, uh, a for-everybody type of sport to watch. It has its demons. And it appears that in the heyday of horse racing, which isn't now, but the horse going for a triple crown test positive for a performance-enhancing drug before the Kentucky Derby. Now, normally, it's a pretty simple move. You see it with human athletes. You'd think you would see it with, with horses as well. They would simply be told, well, you're not racing. That's illegal. They tested the B sample. It came back positive three days after the Kentucky Derby. And instead of remedying anything, 
It was simply brushed under the rug. It was swept away. It fell out of the news cycle so fast, and that's the problem with the way sports news and news in general goes. It fell out of the news cycle so fast, it didn't even get an acknowledgement. Horse racing, one of the dirtiest sports out next to boxing, horse racing is right up there. It's easy to be fixed with the human element of jockeys, and it, it, it it's rife for corruption. So to see this just ignored, Bob Baffert, who is historically probably going to go down as the greatest horse trainer ever, is the trainer of this horse and a big name, and yet they, they, they don't punish the horse, they don't punish Baffert, they don't, they don't punish anybody. So Justify goes on to win the Triple Crown. And after that, the California Horse Racing Board, and again, this didn't come out until last week, the California Horse Racing Board decides, nah, forget it. Just dismiss it. Who cares? One positive test. We can't sully the name further of the great dignified sport of horse racing. So now there's a... a it's crazy to think about because, again, we're talking about horses. There's a tainted champion, not just a tainted champion. This horse won the greatest three races in horse racing. The purse money alone, millions and millions of dollars. The stud fees that have come after Justify has retired from racing. Millions and millions of dollars. Who knows how much the steroid, or, 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 or sorry, scopolam scopolamine? Scopolamine? actually help to win the Triple Crown. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The fact is, it was a tainted race to begin with in the Kentucky Derby. And it was a tainted Triple Crown. And it's not that surprising. It really isn't. Because like I said, I don't. I, not many people have the highest regard for horse racing and the people behind it. It is a rich man's game. It's a wealthy person's game to invest in. And inherently, it has its, its dark side. So hearing that this is going to go unpunished is a slap in the face of horse racing. It really is. You're telling the other, I'm, a, I'm guessing there were 18 to 19 other horses and jockeys in that race. Sorry about your luck. I don't know what you can do retroactively. It doesn't matter at this point. The Triple Crown is there. And we're in a scenario where does it even matter if you try to take that away? Horse already has its money. The horse has its stud fees. The owners have the stud fees. They've soaked in all of the glamour of winning the Triple Crown of horse racing. It It's over with. Yet it's still kind of upsetting to not see even remotely an uproar. Again, this news cycle is so fast for news that I feel like should take a little while like this to be di digested and discussed a little more and maybe figure out where we can go from here about how to handle this in case there is a case of corruption, like with the California Horse Racing Board. So nine days before the Kentucky Derby, they find out he tested positive. They wait for the B sample, which is three days after he wins the Kentucky Derby. And at that point, they decide to change their course of action. Now, this is all through email that, they, that was uh, found out by the New York Times. Rather than filing a complaint, nothing happened until four months Later, he presented the case to the board's commissioners who voted unanimously, unanimously to drop the case. Nobody on that board had the gall to actually try to do what was right. Um, it's just upsetting. You know, it's kind of hard to, uh, to, to, to take it seriously 
I mean, there's suspicions about every sport out there, every sport. You know, obviously, uh, I don't think bicycling or, you know, especially the Tour de France, the big race there, that has not recovered since the Lance Armstrong and the United States Postal Service team fiasco of like 10 or 15 years ago. Nobody cares about that anymore. I don't know what this will do to horse racing, but I'm very curious to find out. I don't know if there needs to be a change, maybe a more universal board instead of just randomly the California Horse Racing Board. But I'm curious to find out. Um, There's a lot of money at stake, and there should be more people upset about this than there are. I feel like this was just swept under the rug way too willy-nilly. The other thing I wanted to get to this week, I talked about week two of the NFL season is done. Week three is upon us. A lot of big matchups this week. But I feel like there's a lot of things that you can take away, even very early in the season, that they don't look like flukes. They look much more like they're going to be trends and that it's going to be that way this entire season. And the first item I have that I want to talk about is the AFC. And I have written down here that the AFC is open and shut. It's a done deal. I don't know that there's more than two teams that matter in the AFC anymore. And I apologize if you're a fan of the Buffalo Bills. I don't know how you got there, but I apologize. You're not for real. The AFC is what it is. You are now down to the New England Patriots and you're down to the Kansas City Chiefs. Assuming everything goes the way you think it does, they'll meet again for the second consecutive AFC championship and see how it goes. Because that's the game everybody wants to see. A new and improved What appears to be New England offense and defense, somehow new and improved. The wide receiving core in New England substantially improved. Tom Brady still playing at an elite level in his older age. The Kansas City Chiefs, they look like they've almost done nothing for their defense. Nothing. I don't know how many players they swapped out. I know they ended up trading for Frank Clark from Seattle. They don't look much better early on. But it doesn't matter because Patrick Mahomes is a generational talent who looks like he's going to throw 60 touchdowns and break the single-season touchdown record in his third year in the NFL. The AFC is done, folks. It's over with. The Chargers went ahead and lost to the Detroit Lions this week. They were a contender last year. That would be your top three teams. And again, don't get me started. I'm not listening to Buffalo people. I'm not going to listen to 2-0 Buffalo Bills fans Try to talk me into that team being real. Absolutely false. The Titans look like the same Titans as last year. The Jaguars couldn't keep a quarterback on the field, so that elite defense is going to be, well, again, it looks like it's going to be wasted. You don't have top-tier talent in the AFC right now outside of the Chiefs and outside of the Patriots. Conversely, the NFC right now, wide open. Absolutely wide open. Now, this is exciting to watch because last year it looked like Rams-Saints on a collision course. And that's what it ended up being. This year, now you have the Saints losing Drew Brees for a lot of a big portion of the season. The Rams, they don't look entirely right early on. The Rams look like they've lost a step here through two weeks this year, this season. And I don't know that they're this perennial contender in the NFC. Especially when you look around. Because if you look around at the other divisions, there's a lot of competition You have the Philadelphia Eagles, who still look good to very good, but then they stutter against the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons themselves, they they go out and get smoked by the Minnesota Vikings. Then they turn around and beat the Philadelphia Eagles. 
The NFC has so much parity and open competition right now. It's it's so much more exciting to watch and follow than the AFC, and I think that'll be the way this entire season. You still have the Rams. The Saints will still be okay to good, and when Drew Brees gets back, they they'll probably touch good, very good to great again. The NFC North, the Green Bay Packers, for crying out loud, making a scene. That defense somehow very good. If they can figure out a way to make that offense click like it should with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, the Green Bay Packers could have something to say about it. And that flies in the face of what I told you two episodes ago, that I don't think the Green Bay Packers are for real. But here we are, and through two weeks they've looked very good. And that all leads me to my next point of the Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys look like the real deal. Now I know you can and you can say this about any team, two weeks into the regular season. Well, they haven't played anybody. You can say that conversely about teams who are 0-2. Well, look at the teams they played. They played really tough teams. The Dallas Cowboys at 2-0, and and not just 2-0, 2-0 impressively. 2-0 looking great on both sides of the football. Dak Prescott, under a new offensive coordinator, looking like he deserves every penny he's asking for, which I would have told you six weeks ago he's not worth any of that. He looked to be a serviceable starter in his first few years in the league. But this year through two games, he looks to be elite. He looks to be very, very good. Very good. So the Dallas Cowboys look to be the real deal. And I would argue they're probably going to win that division. Apologies, Brother Mike. I know the Eagles, uh, they look okay. But if you look at both of these teams in a prism, it's hard to say the Cowboys don't look like one of the top three to five teams in the NFL today. You can't keep them out of that conversation. This is the best roster they've had on the field in years. So I'll be anxious to see how that plays out. It's a very good divisional race there with the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles. A lot of good, like to go back to my original point, a lot of really good races in the NFC. Arizona proving to not be a walkover over in the NFC West. So there is some competition there, again, much better than the AFC. Another thing I wanted to talk about that, and this is kind of the the downside, if you will, of the NFL. Uh, if you're not an NFL fan, I understand it. I, I don't blame you at all. I talked about grappling with that myself in terms of how can you be a fan of this sport, which looks like it, it's purely meant to inflict physical pain on one another and leave lasting, lasting, damaging effects to all of these uh, pure athletes. But there's another reason, and that is that the game is becoming unwatchable. I can't imagine it in person. On TV, it's a struggle enough right now. Penalties are up. Holding penalties are up a massive, massive jump through two weeks. This seems to be every year now, the last three or four years, they've had this weird emphasis on certain penalties. And this year appears to be offensive holding. And it's it feels like it's every other play. It's hard to watch. It feels like every big play is mitigated and wiped out by a penalty, by an offensive holding penalty, by any penalty down the field that you don't understand. How many of us really understand why it was an illegal shift? How many of us really understand why that man was ineligible downfield? No. And it's taking away from the experience of being able to enjoy football. It's hard to watch. It's crossed a line now, and I don't know how you come back. 
the rule book keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's more things to learn and learn and follow, and you can't do this, you can't do that, but you can only do things a certain way, and you can, you know, it's hard to justify anything in terms of, of of big plays. You're just waiting to watch a yellow flag pop up on your screen. You're waiting to see it, you know, behind the line of scrimmage. And that ties in with something that I also want to get to in terms of penalty flags, which is I have no idea how anybody can play defense anymore. I'm not the first person to say this. This isn't a new thought. These new rules to protect the quarterback. I understand the idea. I appreciate protecting the quarterbacks. You're protecting the assets. You're protecting the money makers of these franchises. The rules are more stringent than ever to protect a quarterback this year and last year. It's worked less than ever. Nick Foles, broken clavicle. Drew Brees, thumb injury. Now, Ben Roethlisberger was a non-contact injury with his elbow. He's out. Quarterback injuries happen, just like every player injury happens. So to see a game like last week with Chicago and Denver be extended on a penalty against Bradley Chubb, that looks like it wasn't even a very hard hit. It wasn't even especially, you know, devastating. It's not one that would elicit an ooh or an ah if you watch it on replay. He tackled the quarterback from the back where he rushed him, and he got a penalty. There's weird body weight rules. I don't know. The point is, I don't know how to play defense in the NFL. It's it's impossible. You're a 325-pound man blitzing a quarterback, and you're supposed to... Uh, divvy up your body weight properly. How do you tell people that? How do you send a fine to a player like Jamal Adams from the New York Jets who sacks, who hits Baker Mayfield and gets called for a penalty, which that's debatable, but then gets a fine on top of it? I can't rationalize that in my brain that these pure athletes are expected to be able to stop themselves when they're in the middle of the air that they're supposed to be able to just disperse your body weight. Tell Aaron Donald, you know, to disperse his body weight. A physical specimen unlike we've ever seen in the NFL. Tell him to disperse his body weight differently when hitting somebody. You have a split second to make these plays. And you're telling a player, well, take another split second, you know, and try to grab him around this side instead of around his arm. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. It might make, in the NFL's eyes, for a safer product and for safer quarterbacks, but it's not making a very good viewing experience. It's really hard to watch these games where you're telling defenders you can't do hardly anything you used to do or that you were taught to do. There's basics out there that are understandable. Don't lead with your helmet. You know, don't hit helmet to helmet. Don't buckle somebody's knee. Whatever. All those are understandable. That's not hard to follow. These new rules are impossible to follow. And you're seeing that with record fines in the last few years and with record roughing the passer and unnecessary roughness penalties. But I don't know a way around it for NFL defenders. And I feel terrible that they have to play defense because I don't know how they can put everything together with these quarterbacks better than ever. You have quarterbacks like Drew Brees, like we talked about, who's going to set the NFL career accuracy rating with 70-plus 70, 70 percent of his passes. 
You know how stupid that is? Seven out of ten? Quarterbacks in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, Troy Aikman, Terry Bradshaw, Joe Namath. Joe Namath had 50.4, a 50.4 completion percentage. Terry Bradshaw, like 55. It's a different game. These quarterbacks and these athletes and these wide receivers are better than ever. Offenses are better than ever. It's happening faster. The ball's leaving the quarterback's hands faster than ever, and you're telling these defenders you can't hit anybody too hard or too violently, even though that's the case. It's making a very difficult product to watch. And that somehow that ties in with my last point I wanted to make, that wide receivers and quarterbacks are better than ever. We've never seen this before. We've never seen someone like Patrick Mahomes. We've had gunslingers in the league. Kids get drafted and they say, oh, they have a huge arm. Oh, they have a huge arm. If they can learn how to play quarterback, which is a weird thing to think about, right? You know, when Ryan Tannehill gets drafted and he's played quarterback for 10 games, oh, he's got a huge arm. If he can learn to play quarterback, does that happen in any other sport? Where you're drafting somebody that high based on, well, if they can learn the game, that's an asinine thing to think. But that's the way it's been. But now it feels like a different generation. Now the quarterbacks know how to play the game. Patrick Mahomes can throw the ball out of a stadium. But he can throw that ball out of the stadium within a foot and a half of where your outstretched arms are. It's insane to watch. We talked about Drew Brees' completion percentage. When he's he's hitting three out of every four passes, that's absolutely unheard of. And you're seeing it trickle down to the college game too. Jalen Hurts has more touchdowns than he does in completions this year. 13 compared to 12. Think about that. Through three weeks, 12 total incompletions. How do you stop that? These athletes coming out and into the into the professional game are better than ever. Separation doesn't matter. Randy Moss used to be able to blow by you by three or four yards and be taller than you. He's going to win the jump balls and he's going to blow by you. Now, eh, you don't necessarily need to blow by anybody. Even if there's good coverage, these quarterbacks are way too good. And they're dropping it where nobody else can get to it. It's a different ball game out there. And it makes it fun to watch uh, on that side, in that aspect of the game. It is fun to watch. But man, I don't know what the ceiling is. And I don't know at what point it becomes a little more evened out with the defense. So that's a few of my thoughts I've had for the first few weeks of the NFL season. Boy, it has been... It has been fun. Uh, I do have a list of three contenders that you might not see coming and three pretenders that you might not see coming that I wanted to get to quickly as well. So first up, I'm going to give you the three pretenders that I think they might look good. They might have looked good through these first two or three weeks, but I don't think they'll be in the conversation come the end of the year. And the first one's a little bit surprising to me. Uh, The Chicago Bears out of the NFC North. They haven't looked good on offense at all, which shouldn't be a terrible surprise. Their quarterback situation leaves a lot to be desired there uh, for that Bears defense. But the Chicago Bears, I think they're a pretender. Second pretender, the San Francisco 49ers. Now they're 2-0, and they're sitting out west, and they're probably feeling okay about themselves. But Jimmy Garoppolo has not looked very good. They have not played uh, a very difficult schedule to start the season. They've beaten the Buccaneers and the Bengals, who are two, uh, well, they're not very good teams. I don't see them being in it at the end. Even in a pretty weak division, I think the San Francisco 49ers 
uh, fall under the pretender category. And lastly, I've mentioned them a few times, so I apologize to anybody, any fan listening. The Buffalo Bills, you're pretenders. You've beaten two New York teams who qualify among the probably the worst five in football two weeks in a row. Now, granted, they were both on the road in the same stadium. You're not very good. You're probably going to win this weekend, the Buffalo Bills. You're probably going to be 3-0. and You're going to start seeing some articles on the Buffalo Bills, and are they back? Uh, my answer to you is no. They will not be in the conversation. They will not win the division, which that's pretty obvious with the New England Patriots. I don't think they'll be in the conversation for a wild card. The, the Buffalo Bills fall as a pretender. Now, as a contender that you might not expect right now, at, they haven't looked very good. Maybe they're middle of the pack. The Minnesota Vikings, the Minnesota Vikings look, uh, they should be better. And I think Kirk Cousins has the ability to iron out what looks to be a different quarterback this year. You know, he went from two years ago becoming, in the offseason, becoming the highest guaranteed contract quarterback out there with Minnesota, nearly 100% fully guaranteed contract for three years, to making the worst throws I think I've seen this season. But the Minnesota Vikings have Dalvin Cook, who is something special. They have an absolutely monstrous defensive line. I think the Minnesota Vikings will figure it out, and I think they'll be there at the end of the year winning the NFC North. Second contender that I have, uh, flying a little bit under the radar, the, the, I mentioned them earlier, the Atlanta Falcons. In a very good division, a division that they can move up in right now, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not very good. Sorry, Rusty. The New Orleans Saints losing Drew Brees for multiple weeks. Carolina Panthers looking not good at all and now losing Cam Newton, at least for one game with a foot injury. Hasn't been very effective either. The New York, the, the New York, the Atlanta Falcons, they struggled against the Minnesota Vikings, who I talked about have a vicious defense. Then they bounce back and look pretty good against the Eagles. I think the Atlanta Falcons are going to be there at the end of the year in that division. The NFC South is right for the taking right now, and I think that's a two-horse race with the New Orleans Saints and the Atlanta Falcons. We'll see how the New Orleans Saints can hold up without Drew Brees for the next six to eight weeks. And lastly, I've mentioned them a few times as well this episode. The Philadelphia Eagles, sitting at 1-1, one and one, maybe a bit of a letdown uh, for people who are expecting more early on. Scored 32 points and 20 points, the defense giving up probably more than it should, but that defense under Jim Schwartz should be a lot better as they come together here during and throughout the season. In a pretty good division, though, where they're going to have to play the Cowboys twice. I don't know if they win the division, like I talked about with the Cowboys a little bit earlier. They're probably going to come out on top there. The Eagles, firmly in the mix for a wild card. I think they should be in the playoff hunt. The Philadelphia Eagles sitting at 1-1, one and one, uh, but should definitely be in contention at the end of the year. So those are my thoughts on the NFL season so far, as well as a, a quick thought on who I think is going to fall out of the race in coming weeks and keep and play their way into the race. Last thing I wanted to get to this episode as we close up shop, uh, we'll get to rate my take on the next episode. I've been tweeting about this a little bit, and you can find me on Twitter at KPAFF3587, or you can go ahead and tweet just the main podcast account at Stephen Kyle on Facebook at Stephen Kyle as well. Been tweeting about this a little bit lately, though. What I'm obsessing over right now to prepare myself for the premiere of El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie in October, I have decided to go back and watch all five seasons of Breaking Bad again for the second time in, well, it's probably been about six, seven years ago I, I started watching that show. And my goodness, it it's so easy to forget 
quality television. There's so much of it now. You see, with all the streaming services and all the premium cable jumping in on this, everybody jumping into original content, it's very easy to lose sight of an actual quality program that happened. And man, did Breaking Bad ever happen that way under our noses? A very low-rated show in its first three years. The first show to really get Netflix exposure. Skyrockets ratings in the fourth and fifth season. And is it won a bunch of awards. Exposed the world to Aaron Paul. Exposed the world to real, legitimate actor Brian Cranston. Breaking Bad, an absolute diamond to be able to rewatch. But a really odd experience rewatching it. Uh, you you kind of get caught up. Everybody really loved, you know, Aaron Paul's Jesse Pinkman. Everybody all loved all these characters and thought, oh, they're so good. You rewatch it and you realize this show is filled with no good characters in terms of good people. The acting's good, but my goodness, I will be releasing a list. I, I wrote this today. I'll be releasing a list of characters who were good, and it's very short. After I finish my rewatch, as I finish up season four, if you have never watched it, you need to do yourself a favor. It is an endeavor. I believe it's like 62 episodes, 62 hour long episodes, but it is the absolute pinnacle of television this century, I would argue. In terms of dramas, it is some of the finest uh, performing and some of the finest storytelling you'll find on television. Uh, if you've never watched it, you need to do yourself a favor. It is all on Netflix in a sequel movie, which was shot in secret. El Camino with Jesse Paul, or with Jesse Paul, Aaron Paul's Jesse Pinkman. That is coming out uh, in October. So what I'm obsessing over this week and for the last three weeks has been my rewatch of AMC's Breaking Bad. Do yourself a favor. Get caught up on it. If you've never seen it, go back, watch now, and enjoy some of the best television that this uh, that this decade has had to offer. That's all for this episode of Sports Tate. As always, you can reach us, can reach me at uh, at kpaff three five eight seven on Twitter, at Stephen Kyle on Twitter, at Stephen Kyle on Facebook. Any thoughts you have, you want your take rated hashtag rate my take. Please get a hold of me there. I do have a list of them. I plan on getting to that uh, in the next episode here of Sports Tate. Uh, 424-30-SK-POD. If you'd like to uh, leave your, you can text me there. You can leave a voicemail with your take there. Whatever's easier for you. The number's there. Don't worry. Nobody will answer. Just leave a voicemail or a text message. Hashtag rate my take. 424-30-SK-POD. Look forward to hearing everybody. And we will talk to you again in a few weeks. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. 
Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.